John 8, 57 through 58 is our text. And it is great to be back here preaching today. It feels like it's been a while since I've taught the Bible. It's only been about two weeks, though, but it feels like it's been a lot longer than that. And I love to study the Bible, and that's what we're going to be doing today and tomorrow for Newman Services, Bible study. And so I hope that you brought your Bibles and your lexicons and maybe some coffee. You might need it here as we uh, get further into this lesson. Hopefully we'll learn some things together that we might not have understood before and we'll progress more in the understanding that we already have. We're going to be looking at some text in John's Gospel in these two lessons. And I'll be teaching a detailed explanation of John 8, verse 58, which is the famous Before Abraham Was, I Am text. And this will be Before Abraham Was, I Am, part one, with part two coming tomorrow. The reason I'm going to John 8 is because this was one of the texts that was brought up last fall on a show um, in Torah Resource Radio, the Robin Caleb show, where they critiqued some of my work, and that's fine. Uh, If I put the work out there publicly, it's open for critique. But if we're going to critique, let's make sure that we do it properly and diligently. And I honestly don't believe that these gentlemen have done that. So I've been taking my time carefully answering everything that they brought up about how I and others believe in the book that I co-authored. And I've come to the point now where they bring up John 8, 58. And what I'd like to do is to read John 8, 48 through 59 to get our minds flowing in the direction of this text. And I'm going to be reading today from the New American Standard Bible because it's a literal, wooden translation of the Bible. And I want to use a more literal Bible translation when we study words and context and things like that. So we're going to go to John chapter 8, beginning at verse 48. The Bible says, The Judahites answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Yeshua answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Judahites said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Yeshua answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, or our mighty one. Verse 55, And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so the Judahites said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Yeshua said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Yeshua hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, before we go any further, let's take a look at a clip. This is the only clip I'm going to show from the Rob and Caleb show last fall, I think it was around November, where they talk about John 8:58. It's less than five minutes long. Uh, They really don't do much exegesis or explanation at all, um, in my opinion. But I want to play the clip to let you know what I'm responding to. And why was, you know, here's a question too, is why was Yeshua uh, accused of blasphemy? In in John 8, for instance, they took up stones, and in John 6 too, uh, they took up stones to stone him, right? Well, okay, so so Rob, uh, you've looked at this book as well. There's a uh, portion in this book where he talks about the place where Yeshua says, before Abraham was, I am. What page is that on? Do you know? Oh, I think it's there's. It's on page uh, 62, maybe. Page 62. Okay, so page 62. Let's go to that. Uh, oh, yeah. So, you know, there's the, the verse in John 8, 
58. Uh, Before Abraham was, I am. And uh, the the translation is given as uh, what Yeshua actually meant was, but you're talking here, about by Jensen, right? Before Abraham yeah. comes into being, at his resurrection unto eternal life, I will. So wait, wait, hang on. Just say that. Let, let's let's lay this out again. So you said that Jansen Jansen and his co-author. I'm sorry, I forget his co-author's name. Uh, they say that the translation of this passage in John eight should be what? They say it should be this. Well, if they say what Yeshua, I'll read it. I'm going to read it exactly what it says here. Quote, what Yeshua actually meant was, before Abraham comes into being, at his resurrection unto eternal life, I will. Is there any basis whatsoever for changing the text? No, no, that is just that. The idea of before, especially if we look at the context, they just asked him, how come have you, how have you seen Abraham? Right? He's a, <laughs> so it and then they go on to cite uh some Greek uh a manual of gram uh, manual grammar of Greek New Testament, but it doesn't uh pertain to this passage or to the context at all. It it's it's just um it's concerning to me that someone would be teaching that this is what this uh, this means, particularly when you know we have Yeshua citing the 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 burning bush instance in Exodus concerning the resurrection. He says, "I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob." He's not God of the dead, but of the living. This idea that that the way they're rendering this before Abraham comes into being at his resurrection unto eternal life is is, uh, to me, a flag of how uh, ready they are to twist and write uh, and import their own meanings into the Scripture and then go around, you know, teaching and publishing uh, books. Well, let me just make a couple of comments here. Uh, I actually was taught my uh, grammar from Dana and Manti in, in, at uh, Cedarville University. That was one of the textbooks we used all the way through it. And uh, just like Rob said, he's taking, they're just taking, picking something out of a grammar and then importing The aorist it. infinitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and, and the aorist infinitive and putting it into their context. But they do the same thing with Bullinger. They quote Bullinger at the top of the page. And in his figures of speech, he does this. I mean, he's giving uh, basic grammar and they're importing it into, uh, into the text. And so uh, the, the last thing is he, they don't even look at context. They're trying to make everything out of their uh, skewed grammar kinds of things. What happens in John chapter 8 after Yeshua says this? They said, what? You're not old enough before Abraham was, I am. You know, you've, you're, you know, and then they realized what he was saying. And, and they were ready. They were calling him a blasphemer because he said that. Now, if they had understood the Greek the way Jensen and his co-author have, they would have said, oh, okay, we understand what you're saying. Why did they take up uh, stones to stone him? They understood exactly what he was saying. Exactly. Let me begin by saying that I corresponded with Rob Van Hoff, that's the gentleman on the screen to your right, after this show, back in December of 2014, about this text in John chapter 8. And uh, I did so by way of a blog post that he wrote and also through email. And the first thing that I said to him concerning this text in John 8, and his comments on a portion of the book that I co-authored, was that the majority of the section in our book, Who Then Is This?, that dealt with John chapter 8, was not written by me, but was written by my friend, John Cordero. Now, to Rob's defense, he did not know that, and that's fine. Uh, He dealt with what was the most written about in the book. John and I collaborated on that book. I wrote some chapters. John wrote other chapters. On the chapter about John 8, we chose to put John Cordero's writing at the forefront, um, although we do explain my belief on it in brief in that chapter. It's towards the end of chapter 5 in the book that I give an alternate understanding for John chapter 8, one that's different from Cordero, because John and I understand the text differently, John Cordero and I. 
looking back now, I wish that we would have published both understandings in detail. Uh, my understanding of John 8:58 is mentioned briefly on pages 63 through 64 of my book. Now, in my initial correspondence with Rob back in December 2nd, 2014, I summed up my understanding of the text like this. This is what I wrote him. This is the comment section on the blog. Quote, I personally believe Yeshua was speaking spiritually or figuratively in John 8:58, meaning before Abraham was, I am he, the Messiah. He had just spoke of Abraham seeing his day, in verse 56, seeing whose day? Seeing the day of the Messiah by faith. After this, the Jewish leaders were upset, still thinking in the natural or the literal, and they said, you're not yet 50 years old, have you seen Abraham? Yeshua's response in verse 58 is him speaking of himself as the Messiah in the plan, Greek logos, of the Father from the foundation of the world, or, at the very most, the passage could speak of him having pre-human existence. There's nothing in the text that proves Yeshua is claiming to be Yahweh. People often base that on the reaction of the Jewish leaders, which their intent is not specifically spelled out anyhow. But we should base our understanding of the text on the words of Yeshua. The Jewish leaders could have misunderstood him and reacted inappropriately, as they did at other times, like in John 6, when he spoke of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, end of quote. So that's how I summed my view up to Rob back in December of last year. And although there are other ways, perhaps better ways, that the text could be translated from the Greek, I believe that a good reading or translation of the text in John 8:58 is, before Abraham was born, or came into existence, I am he. And the I am he, Yeshua is referring to as I am the Messiah, slash son of man, slash son of God. Yeshua is this before Abraham, either in a literal pre-existence, a pre-human existence, or in the plan or the logos of Yahweh. Now, I lean more towards in the plan or the logos, or as the logos of Father Yahweh. That's how I lean. But it's quite possible that he could be talking about his pre-human existence here in heaven with the Father. I want to begin to go deeper here on the text, because for the most part, people whom I have heard teach on or just comment about John 8.58 automatically, without any diligent study, they link it up with Exodus 3.14. They say that Yeshua says, before Abraham was, I am, and then they go to where Yahweh says in Exodus 3.14, I am that I am in the King James Version of the Bible. Now it's true that many and various verses in the Bible are parallel with one another, complement one another. For example, many New Testament authors quote passages from the Old Testament in the New Testament. and Therefore you have parallel verses when there's a direct quote. You have verses that are associated with one another and they're related to one another. At the same time, just because verses sound similar in English does not automatically mean that they're related to one another. Now actually, I do not believe that John 8.58 is related to Exodus 3.14. When Yeshua said, before Abraham was born, I am... I do not believe that he was quoting Exodus 3.14 or even alluding to Exodus 3.14. Many Bible translators do. Let me show you how certain Bible translations treat this text in John 8.58. The New Living Translation reads, Yeshua answered, I tell you the truth before Abraham was, I am, exclamation point. They capitalize, all caps, I am. They capitalize that, that's a translator's gloss, why do they do that? Well, in their footnote in the verse, it says, see Exodus 3.14. So obviously the translators of the New Living Translation believe that it's parallel with the Exodus passage, the burning bush passage. The Amplified Bible capitalizes I am and then puts in parentheses Exodus 3.14. The New American Bible also capitalizes I am. The Good News Translation actually puts extra quotation marks around I am. 
So it looks like this on the screen. Yeshua replied, quote, before Abraham was born, quote, within a quote, I am, end of that quote. Now I assume that they do this because they're implying that when Yeshua said, I am, the reason they put the extra quotation marks around it is because they feel that he is quoting Exodus 3.14. I think that's a safe assumption. I haven't asked the translators in particular, but that's generally what those extra quotation marks mean. Now, it is then said by a good many pastors and scholars that the Greek text of John 8.58 reads in Greek, ego and me. And those are two Greek words that you're going to know a lot about and learn before these messages are over. Ego and me. In English, I am. All right? When we compare ego and me, these pastors and scholars say, we compare this in John 8.58 with the text of Exodus 3.14 in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that Yahweh says in the Greek Septuagint, ego and me. And so Exodus 3.14 reads in Greek, ego and me. John 8.58 reads in Greek, ego and me. They said, it's a perfect match. Yeshua was alluding to he was the one at the burning bush in Exodus 3, verse 14. As you guys know, I don't believe that at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I believe that Yahweh's angel was in the bush speaking for Yahweh uh, as, as his agent. But that's another message, I guess, at another time. However, when we look at the Septuagint of Exodus 3.14, we do not see this argument to be valid. Now, I own the Brenton translation of the Septuagint. I brought it with me in case anybody wants to look at it when we're through here. And in Exodus 3.14, it reads thusly, And God spoke to Moses, saying, I am the being. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, The being has sent me to you. The Greek text of Exodus 3.14 is underneath, and I am the being, in Greek reads, ego and me ho'on. And then the next use of the being, where he says, say to the children of Israel, the being has sent me to you, that is not ego and me, that is ho'on in Greek. Now, in this English translation of the Septuagint, what is Yahweh emphasizing himself as? He's emphasizing himself as, in Greek, ho'on, or the being. The words I am, ego and me, are simply setting up they're a helper in identification for what Yahweh is calling himself in Exodus 3.14. So in Greek he says, ego and me, ho'on, and then he says again, ho'on, or the being, has sent me to you. That's what I want you to tell them, Moses, when you go speak to the children of Israel, and we're thinking about this in the Greek language. So in the Greek text of Exodus 3.14, Yahweh is not calling himself, I am. The words I am are only a precursor to what Yahweh actually is calling himself. I am the being. Ego and me, ho'on. Now to make this simpler, let me give a modern day example. Let's say that me and my family were in a crowd of 50 people and somebody asked Morgan. They asked Morgan and they said, who is your dad? And I heard them ask the question. And I reply, I am her dad. What's the significant title that I place upon myself? It's dad. I use the words I am to lead up to who I am. I am her dad. It's not that I am is part of my identification there. It's that dad or father, the father of Morgan, is my identification. And that's what Yahweh is doing in Exodus 3.14 in the Greek Septuagint. He does not say in Greek, I am, I am, Ego and me, ego and me, but rather I am the being, ego and me, ho'om. Now I said before that many pastors and scholars link John 8.58 with Exodus 3.14, but I did not say that all of them do. And that, the reason I didn't say that is because all of them do not. As a matter of fact, it's becoming more and more accepted now in the scholarly community that John 8.58 doesn't have anything to do with Exodus 3.14. We'll get more into that here in a second. For example, Greek scholar Jason David Badoon from Northern Arizona University in his book Truth in Translation, page 108, says this, quote, God does not say, I am, I am. He says, I am the being. I am sets up the title or identification God uses of himself 
it is not itself that title. Separating I am off as if it were meant to stand alone is an interpretive sleight of hand, totally distorting the role the phrase plays in the whole sentence, either in the Greek Septuagint version of Exodus 3.14 or in John 8.58. There is absolutely nothing in the original Greek of John 8.58 to suggest that Jesus is quoting the Old Testament here, contrary to what the today's English version tries to suggest by putting quotation marks around I am, end of quote. There are also other scholars who have veered away from linking the two passages together. Why? Because they recognize when they look at the Septuagint and they look at John 8.58 in the Greek New Testament, they realize the dissimilarity between the two texts in the Greek manuscripts. Now, as a matter of fact, and this will probably be known to some of you guys because of our knowledge about the sacred name, when you study the text of Exodus 3.14 in Hebrew, you will find that many scholars believe that the Hebrew phrase Ehyeh Asher Ehyeh or Hayah Asher Hayah as it's normally said is better translated into English as I will be who I will be not I am that I am. Now if you read the King James Version you'll notice that in Exodus 3 verse 12 in the KJV Yahweh tells Moses certainly I will be with thee. Now that phrase in Exodus 3.12, I will be, is the Hebrew word, it's the exact same word in verse 14, so even the King James translators there find it acceptable to translate the Hebrew, into English as I will be. There are English Bible versions that translate Exodus 3.14 from Hebrew to English as I will be what or who I will be. These Bibles include the Bible in Living English, Rotherham's Emphasized Bible, and the Five Books of Moses by Everett Fox. Now there are even more translations that although they read I am that I am in Exodus 3.14, they give a footnote to the verse that says, or I will be what I will be, saying that that's a legitimate rendering from the Hebrew. One of these is the Common English Bible. You can see it there on the screen. It reads, I am who I am in Exodus 3.14. But in the footnote to the verse it says, or I will be who I will be. Listen to this quote from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Volume 2, pages 507 and 1254. This encyclopedia, I'm going to read it quickly and just highlight a few of the portion here it gives us the reason why it is better to translate as I will be who I will be rather than I am that I am. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says this, quote, I will be who or what I will be is preferable because the verb hayah to be has a more dynamic sense of being, not pure existence, but becoming, happening, being present. And because the historical and theological context of these early chapters of Exodus shows that God is revealing to Moses and subsequently to the whole people not the inner nature of his being or existence, but his active, redemptive intentions on their behalf, he will be to them what his deeds will show him to be. In Exodus 3.14, Jehovah is explained as equivalent to Ahyeh, which is a short form of Ahyeh, Asher, Ahyeh, translated in the Revised Version, I am that I am. The imperfect ehyeh is more accurately translated, I will be what I will be, a Semitic idiom, meaning I will be all that is necessary as the occasion will arise, a familiar Old Testament idea, end of quote. What this encyclopedia is saying in a nutshell is this. Yahweh isn't just telling Moses, I am that I am, I am what I am right now. The Hebrew should be translated, I will be what I will be, which includes, I'll be what I'll be now, and I'll be what I'll be all through the wilderness. In your removal from Egypt, I'll be whatever I need to be now and in the future. That's what the Hebrew term actually means, and more and more theologians are going in that direction in this day and time for Exodus 3.14. So the point is, that in Exodus 3.14, it probably should not read in English, I am that I am, to begin with. 
And if the more proper translation of I will be what I will be, which is what Yahweh's name means, we call him by his name, Yahweh, right? Well, names have meaning. And what Yahweh's name means is he will be what he will be. Whatever the need is, he'll take care of everything for his children. At this point, till forevermore for his children. So if that proper translation, I will be what I will be, was there to begin with, no one would have ever made the link from John 8, 58, where Yeshua says, I am, in Exodus 3.14, where Yahweh really says, I will be who I will be. So, I don't think that there's a link there. I would encourage you to study that in your studies. How should we understand John 8.58? Well, I would suggest that we first look at the totality of John's Gospel. And we see if there are any other places in that book where Yeshua uses the words I am, Greek, ego, and me, and where the words appear in John's gospel sometimes outside of his lips, on the lips of other people. And then we should obviously study the entire context of John chapter 8, which lead up to the climax of verses 58 and 59. And that's going to give us a handle on how the phrase is used by this particular author in this particular writing. And so that's what we're going to do. Not all today, but a little bit more today, and then we'll continue this tomorrow for the new moon service. I want to begin by going to John chapter 4. Because in John 4, we have the very first time that Yeshua uses, or John records Yeshua, as using the Greek words ego me or I am in the Gospel of John. And this is the account in John 4 where Yeshua speaks to, the, to a woman of Samaria, often known as the Samaritan woman at the well. That's a lot of times what this story is called, and we'll begin in verse 19. John 4, 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And the reason she said that is because he was speaking things about her life that she had not told him about. So she says, You're a prophet. And then she goes on to say, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Yeshua said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from Judah or the Judahites. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father, in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit. The Almighty is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, the Anointed One. When that one comes, He will declare all things to us. Now, she knew, and it was obviously based upon her knowledge of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, she knew that there would be a Messiah that would come. And when that Messiah came, he would be able to tell all things. He would be able to reveal these things to them. Verse 26, Yeshua said to her, I who speak to you am he. I want you to notice in verse 26 where Yeshua uses the phrase, I am he, and I have the interlinear uh, which I also brought with me, if anybody wants to take a look at that. The New American Standard Bible is on the left, and NIV is on the right, and then the, the Greek text with a literal translation is in the middle. In Greek, this is the phrase, ego and me, and you can see it uh, down here at the bottom, uh, the bottom left, where in this Bible it says, Jesus, I am. And up above the I is ego, and up above the M is me. This is the first time that Yeshua uses the words, according to John the author, ego and me. But the translators of the New American Standard Bible that we just read add the word he to the end of I am. I that speaketh to you am he, or I am he, the one speaking to you. And the reason they do that, I don't think that that's wrong, the reason they add the he into English is because in the sentence there is no, what's called, there is no predicate noun. Now, don't let that phrase scare you away from learning. 
That's what we're here to do is to learn the Bible. What that means is there is no noun in Yeshua's words describing who the I am is. It's not like other statements that Yeshua makes in the Gospel of John. Let me show you a few where there is a predicate noun or phrase. Two. One of them is in John 8, 12 where he says, I am, ego and me, the light of the world. Notice they don't have to add he after I am because he explains who he's talking about. I am the light of the world. Also in John 10, 11, I am, ego and me, the good shepherd. In both of those cases, there is a predicate noun, either light of the world or good shepherd. Therefore, there is no reason to insert the he after I am because the noun is supplied in the sentence. In the case of John 4.26, though, at the top of the screen, Yeshua does not add a noun, so the translators correctly insert the he after the statement I am because I am he has to be talking about somebody. Now we ask ourselves the question, and I think this is the easiest one out of all of them to see right away, who is Yeshua referring to himself as when he says, I am he? Now let's look at John 4, 25-26 again by itself. Read it slowly and then ask yourself that question. Who is he referring to himself as? Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Yeshua said to her, I who speak to you am he, or either I am he, the one speaking to you. I think that that is exceptionally plain. Yeshua is saying, I am the Messiah. You just said, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all these things. I am he, the one in front of you that's speaking. I'm that Messiah. That's what he's saying to the woman at the well. This is the first use of ego and me by Yeshua in John's Gospel. And the very first use is a reference to him being the Messiah, the anointed one, sent one of Yahweh. Now, John 4.26 is certainly not John 8.58. They're two different texts. But I don't want you to miss that it is still in the Gospel of John. Same author. And both texts, Christ the Lord is speaking. Let's look at another one without the predicate noun in John 6, 16-21. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Yeshua had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Yeshua walking on the sea. They didn't know it was him at this point, but John tells us that's who they saw. They saw Yeshua walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were afraid. Matthew tells us in his account that they thought they saw a ghost. But he said, verse 20, But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Now here in verse 20, John records Yeshua as again using the phrase, Ego and me. Only this time, it's a little easy for us to miss it. Because the translators of the New American Standard Bible translate the phrase, not as I am he, but as it is I. Remember he said, it is I, do not be afraid. Now it would not be wrong to translate it, I am he, do not be afraid. But it is I is good as well. Most translations give here, it is I, because they understand that all Yeshua is doing is saying this, it's me, Yeshua, don't be scared. It's not a ghost. It's me, it's the Master. And I believe that's an excellent translation, it is I because he's identifying himself as Yeshua to his disciples, rather than being something or someone else. Now, this in John 6.20 is a great example of Bible translators doing what they should do. Not inserting or shoving in a meaning that they want, but just translating the text for what it says. Now, none of us can help it. If, if we know Greek and we know English, and we translate the New Testament, whether we like it or not, or whether it's on purpose or not, there will be bias come out, because we all have our bias and our own thoughts and our ideas, and sometimes we'll translate that bias in there without realizing it. 
Well, in this case, that was not done. They did not even use the English words I am. They just put it is I. It's a great example of excellent Bible translation because that's what the text is referring to. They're scared. They think they see a ghost. He says, don't be afraid. It's me, Yeshua. It's your master. Let's look at a couple more like this without the predicate now. We're going to move into John 8 now. John chapter 8. I want to look at verses 24 and 28, but we're going to begin reading in verse 17. John 8, 17. 17 through 18. I want you to take note, this is John chapter 8. This is our primary text, one that we'll be centering in on mostly tomorrow. John 8, verse 17 through 18. Yeshua is speaking. He says, Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Now before we go further to the main verses, verses 24 and 28 that I want to look at, I want you to look at verse 18, because I didn't catch verse 18 at first. But Yeshua here says, I am he. That's ego and me in Greek. He says, I am he who testifies about myself. He is identifying himself as one of the two witnesses that he's speaking about here. Now, what's important to note is that Yeshua's use of ego and me is in no way referring to himself as the Father. Because he mentions the Father who sent him in the next statement as the second witness. In other words, Yeshua says, I am he, the first witness, and the Father who sent me, that's the second witness. Remember verse 17? It's written in your law, the testimony of how many witnesses is true? Two witnesses is true. Now, I actually didn't even catch this use of ego and me by Yeshua when I first put this sermon together. When I went through my sermon notes the second time, I caught this and I inserted it into my notes, uh, this use of ego and me in verse 18. Now, I don't want you to miss, let me say this in passing, and it's important. So, I don't want you to miss that. Also, Yeshua refers to he and his father as two witnesses. Two. This should help us. This is in John 8. This should help us when we get to John 10, which that's not the point of my sermon, but when you read the Gospel of John in your Bible reading, you get to John's Gospel, and you get to John chapter 10, which there's a whole context going on in John 10. But he says in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. If you already know this in John 8, you've already read this, it should help you understand when he says, I and my Father are one, he's talking about one in purpose, plan, and unity very similar to how in Genesis 2 where Yahweh says the husband and the wife, Adam and Eve, when they come together in marriage, they're no longer twain but one flesh. It doesn't mean they're one person, but it means they're one in purpose and in unity and they're together. Okay. So this is what the Messiah is saying. It's written in the law. You've got to have two witnesses to prove something. I am He that testifies first, and the Father who sent me is the second witness. That's beautiful. So, let's continue to read verse 19. So they were saying to him, Where is your father? <laughs> Yeshua answered, You know neither me nor my father. Now, we'll get more into this tomorrow, but those are harsh words. you know. And we don't know if he spoke them loudly or softly. We're, we're not told. But if he looks at you, and you say to him, where is your father? And he says, look, you don't know me, and you don't know my father. That's a very bold statement by our master here. And he says, if you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. The father's hand was protecting him, even though he uses even more brash words as we continue. Then he said again to them, I go away... And you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Judahites were saying, well, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And we see here that they're already misunderstanding him. They think he's talking about committing suicide here. It's not what Yeshua is talking about. 
do not base your theology on the, what the men talking to Yeshua say. They can misunderstand him. Base it upon what he says. Okay? So many people want to base who Yeshua is on the words of his accusers or people who were against him. Do, don't do that. Base it on what he says. They think, why is he saying where he's going we can't come? Is he going to kill himself? Verse 23, And he was saying to them, You are from below. And I think he's talking about the earth. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Those are very powerful statements too. Verse 24, Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. There is ego in me, John 8, 24. Verse 25. We'll get back to that here in a second. So they were saying to him, Who are you? Yeshua said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. And they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Remember they asked him earlier in the text, Where is your Father? They didn't believe Yahweh was his Father. Verse 28. So Yeshua said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that ego in me, I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And He spoke these things, or as He spoke these things, many came to believe in Him. Praise Yahweh. Now, this is a very interesting text because I've heard John 8, 24 preached or spoken about many, many times in my life and used to say, I've heard preachers preach on John 8, 24. I've never heard a sermon preached on the whole context, but I've heard them quote the verse and they'll use this verse to say that unless you believe that Jesus is God or Yeshua is Yahweh, that you will die in your sins. I was listening to a man preach one time about John 8, 24, and he quoted this text, and he said that Yeshua was saying this. This is what this, this preacher did. Unless you believe that I am He, I pointing to Himself, He pointing to heaven, you will die in your sins. Now, I'm not completely for certain, I didn't get to ask him, if he meant to say that Yeshua, he believed Yeshua used those hand gestures, when Yeshua made that statement, I don't see how anybody could know that. So maybe he didn't think that particularly, but that's what his hand gestures implied because this preacher was oneness and he was saying that Jesus was saying, unless you believe I, Jesus, am God in heaven, pointing to the heavens, that you will die in your sin. Now this is where we must be very careful. and We should not be afraid of the text. Never be afraid of what the Bible teaches but we should be careful to properly interpret what Yeshua is saying because of the context or by the context of his statements. Now, the reason I say we need to be careful is because we're dealing with the subject of people dying in their sins. And we do not need to tell somebody that they're going to die in their sins unless we are absolutely positive about the doctrine that we're saying. Now, that doesn't mean that we still can't make mistakes, but we have to be careful. There are many things that we can disagree on in our beliefs. Obviously, who the Yeshua is is not one of them. Because whoever he is in this statement, we must believe or else we will die in our sins. That's very serious. We don't want to pronounce that kind of judgment on anybody flippantly, haphazardly. We need to take it very serious. The first thing I want to point out is how the New American Standard Bible translates ego and me here in both verses 24 and verse 28. They translate this into English as I am he and not just I am. Now why? Why do they do that? I mentioned this before. Once again, just like in John 4.26 and John 6.20, there's no predicate noun in the statement. So the he is supplied to make sense of the sentence. Keep this in your mind as we move along in John chapter 8. The translators have done this consistently up to this point. Whenever there is no predicate noun, they always put the he after I am. 
The question before us now is this. Who is Yeshua saying that we must believe He is in John 8, 24? Well, let's first look a few verses back in the same chapter. We just read John 8, 17 through 30. Now let's read some of the verses before this in John 8, 12 through 16. John 8, 12. Then Yeshua again spoke to them saying, I am, ego me, the light of the world. Notice they don't add the he there because the predicate noun, the light of the world, is there. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're testifying about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. Yeshua answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. There again, that's a very forthright statement. I know where I came from, Yeshua said and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Verse 15, You judge according to the flesh, I am not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true. Why? For I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. And then he goes on to talk about the two witnesses. In other words, he's about to say, I'm not just testifying about myself. I have a second witness, and it's the Father in heaven. So how does Yeshua identify himself here in John 8 in the context? Well, here in verse 12, we find the phrase ego and me again, but there is a predicate noun attached to it. The translators leave out the word he because Yeshua says, ego and me, I am the light of the world. Just a few moments after he says this, I am the light of the world, he says, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. So it's no stretch... according to the context, to believe that Yeshua is saying, at least part of what he's saying, is unless you believe that I am the light of the world, you will die in your sins. And of course, light of the world is a spiritual light, guiding our paths in, in righteousness and how to live and all that. He then says in verse 14, I know where I came from and where I'm going. And then he says in verse 23... You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. These are powerful statements. He says, I know where I came from, I'm from above, I'm not of this world. These are all powerful statements. And they go along with something that Brother Arnold talked about, about the the logos that was with the Father in the beginning. Logos is the Greek word for word or plan. And I believe that's what Yeshua is saying right here. And I think it lines up beautifully with the virgin birth. This is how Yeshua can make these statements. It's because he was supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit of Yahweh overshadowing a woman. He did not have an earthly father. There was no biological intimacy that took place to create the human Messiah. He came directly from Yahweh, Yahweh's spirit that overshadowed the virgin Miriam. And I think that the Logos of Yahweh, the Word or plan of Yahweh, took upon flesh. Now, these are some of the verses that we've went over in John 8. These are some of the verses that people who believe in the literal pre-existence of Yeshua use to refer to Yeshua as the Logos or the pre-existent Son of Yahweh. This is what a lot of your Jehovah's Witnesses will use. And this is a very old belief. Don't, don't think, well, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe it, it can't be right. No, that's not how we should we should think. We should not think that just because a group of people believe this doctrine that it can't have any truth about it. You're going to find, whether you go to the Baptist, the Methodist, the Pentecostal, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, you're going to find truth in all of these groups. And you're also going to find falsehood. And the same goes for us. Let us not think that we are immune to having falsehood. <laughs> we try, but we're fallible and we make mistakes, and so but we, we try to teach the truth and believe the truth, but you're going to find truth in all of these groups. And this belief that Yeshua, or as they call him, Jesus, literally preexisted as a spirit being in heaven with the Father is a very old belief. Um, it was believed by men like Justin Martyr um, or Origen. These men lived prior to what was called the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., 
they're sometimes referred to the pre-Nicene church fathers. And they did not believe in the Trinity. They did not. They did not believe that Jesus was co-equal with God. But they believed that Jesus, or Yeshua, was the first being created by the Father. And then the Father created everything else through the agency of the Son. It's a very old belief. I'm not saying I believe that, but I'm not saying I'm against that belief either. I think that that is one way to properly understand the harmony of all the texts in the Bible. Well, these are some of the verses that they would go to. I know where I came from. I am from above. I am not of this world. These are some of the verses they would go to. Now, however you interpret preexistence, I just want you to take note that Yeshua says all of these things right before He says, unless you believe I am He, you will die in your sins. Up to this point, He has said nothing about being Yahweh the Father. He said, I am the light of the world. I am from above. I am not of this world. I know where I came from. And in verse 28, which we'll get to in a second, he calls himself the Son of Man. So his point in the context here is not to say I'm Yahweh. It's not to say I'm the Father. But there's more. We read it moments ago, but down in John 8, 28, still in John 8, Yeshua says, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Now this seems very plain to me. He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am He. I am who? The Son of Man. And the Son of Man, if you remember back with me to a sermon I preached in this series, that's a reference to the book of Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man approaches another being called, anybody remember? the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man power, authority, kingdom, rule. The Son of Man's not the Ancient of Days, but He is a very high-ranking being. And this is nonetheless none, none other than Yeshua the Messiah. And He says when the Son of Man is lifted up, and He's talking about when He's lifted up on the cross or the torture stake, then you'll know I'm the one that Daniel 7 prophesied about. You'll know I'm the Son of Man. You'll know I am He. So Yeshua identifies Himself as the light of the world, from above, not of this world, and the Son of Man. And I believe all these titles are related with one another. I just talked about Daniel 7. But Son of Man is also a title that is used in Matthew 16, 13 through 18 where Yeshua asked the question, some people say He asked the question, Whom do men say that I am? It's not entirely correct. He asked this question, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now that's a, that's a slight variation, but it's important. He mentions Himself as the Son of Man in Matthew 16, 13 through 18. And when Yeshua asked that question in Matthew 16, they say, well, there's a lot of people talking about you. Some say you're a prophet. Elijah come back from the dead, Jeremiah. But then he says, but whom do you say? And then Peter kind of perks up. And he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Yeshua looks at him and he says, that's exactly right. And what he says is, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter got it by revelation of who Yeshua, the Son of Man, was. Messiah, Christ, Son of the living God. Notice the titles are associated. Son of Man, the Messiah, Son of God. They're all associated with one another. Praise Yahweh. Even right here in the Gospel of John 3, verse 14, Yeshua says this, For as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the... Son of Man be lifted up. He goes on in verses 15 and 16 to say, and that everyone that believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life, life in the age to come. John 3.16, For God, that is the Father, so loved the world, or loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son. Here we see again, Son of God is associated with Son of Man and Messiah in John chapter 3. 
And Yeshua has taken us all the way back in John 3 to Moses in Numbers 21 where the people are suffering from the, the bites of the serpents. Literal serpent bites. And Yahweh tells Moses, make a bronze statue of a serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up. And everybody in Israel that looks at it will be healed of their snake bites. Many of them looked. Many of them stubborn. I can not imagine not looking. But many of them stubborn did not look and they died. Well, Yeshua says in John 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What does He mean by that? On the cross, on the torture stake. John 8, 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And what did that centurion say when Yeshua breathed His last breath? He said, truly, this was the Son of God. It hit him all of a sudden. What did he say? When you've lifted up the Son of Man, you'll understand I am He. I'm the one that was prophesied about in Daniel. I'm the one that Peter got revealed by the Father, who I am. I'm the one I spoke of myself about in John 3. Son of Man. Now, I believe this is who Yeshua is referring to Himself as in John 8, 24, when He says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. According to the context of the surrounding verses in John 8 that come before and after verse 24, the light of the world, the one from above, the one not of this world, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Son of God or Son of Yahweh, is who Yeshua is referring to Himself as here in verse 24 in John chapter 8. And this is seen, I believe, very, very clearly if we allow the context to speak rather than quoting one verse and trying to shove Exodus 3.14 in there where it doesn't belong. That's not the context. Not at all. The context is Son of Man, Light of the World, Son of Yahweh, Messiah. As I close, this makes sense. Because in order for our sins to be forgiven, who must we accept? We must accept the one that was wounded for our sins. Isaiah 53, the Messiah. All we like sheep have done what? Gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But Yahweh hath laid upon him the iniquity, the lawlessness of us all. That makes sense that we must believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of Man, the one who takes our place the one who was pierced for our transgressions and the punishment for our peace fell on him. Praise Yahweh. If we do not accept the anointed one that Yahweh sent, we will die in our sins because our faith is not resting upon the one who paid the price for our sins. And that's why I can say with confidence, and it's a scary thing to say, and we should say it to people that don't believe in the Messiah. Brother Frankie talked about this fellow that has contacted us that's not a believer and we speak this, we should say this with love, that he or anybody else that doesn't place their faith in the Messiah of the Bible, if we believe the Bible, will die in their sins. That can't be a good thing. Why will they die in their sins? Because if they don't put faith in him as their Savior, as their proxy, as their substitute, then he wasn't a substitute for them. They're not receiving that gift that Yahweh gave. And do you see how that if Yahweh sent this Son of Man, as Daniel 7 says that He did, gave Him authority and power in a kingdom, do you see how that if Yahweh sent Him, that to reject Him is to reject Yahweh? Do you see that? That's why Yeshua says, You don't know Me, and you don't know My Father. Now that's probably a good place to stop for today. We're going to pick this back up tomorrow looking at a few more texts in John 8. We're going to go all the way up to John 8, 58, verse by verse, and look at each text as we, as we read it. So praise Yahweh. I hope you learned something today, and we'll be back here tomorrow at, at 6 o'clock. Let's stand and have a word of prayer as we close out. I told you you might need some coffee, right? I pray and hope that you will take these verses and you will go back and, and do the research in your time, in your own time. 
I really pray that Yahweh will prick your heart to do that. I've spent a lot of time looking at this, but that doesn't mean that I have all the truth figured out. So I want you to do that and, um, and look at the verses. Uh, I've actually learned some things going through this, and there's some things I brought out tonight that I didn't see before I detailed this passage, um, especially on the preexistence. So praise Yahweh for His truths, and praise Yahweh for continuing to further our understanding. Dear Yahweh, thank you for another Sabbath day, Father, as we move now into the second new moon of the year. I pray that you'd bring us back here to congregate again tomorrow and study more in uh, the gospel according to Brother John. Yahweh, thank you for sending your Son, our Messiah. I pray that our faith in him as the light of the world and the Son of Man would be strengthened and increased uh, by his words here as recorded by John. Um, Father, help us to believe the Bible no matter what it says and teaches. Continue to give us better and better understandings of texts and let us not be afraid to go wherever the text itself leads. I love you, Yahweh. I pray for those that um, are here today, part of this congregation, and I pray for those that are not here, Father. Um, we ask that you would touch them as well and bring us all back here tomorrow for new men's service. We glorify you and we thank you. It's through Yeshua that I pray. Amen.